I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Welcome back to Saturday School. For people who've been listening, you'll know that season three is our season on Asian American music movies. In our last episode, we decided to take a look at Asian American music videos. And we talked about what makes an Asian American music video. Is it the musicians being Asian American? Is it the Asian American filmmakers? Is it the on-screen talent being Asian American? And for the purposes of our exploration, we decided that we would keep it open. So we want to emphasize that this is by no means a comprehensive list. Um, it's not even necessarily the quote-unquote best Asian American music videos, but we asked people what their favorites were. And it's probably worth mentioning that when we put out this call, uh, we didn't know which videos people would select. And more interestingly for us, which era of Asian American music videos most people would be talking about. And you know, most of the YouTube videos that were suggested were from the last 15 years or so. But we should acknowledge that there have always been music videos. Music videos have existed since the beginning of sound on film. In the 1940s, there was something called Soundies, which were basically short films that included one song. And that's always been around. Some of you probably have seen some Beatles music videos um, in the 60s. And we do want to mention that Asian Americans were producers and, and subjects of these short videos. But for the purposes of today, we're going to really stick with the post-MTV era. MTV came to prominence in the 1980s. And also, I think it's reflected of Ada and I's, like, our ages and our own coming of ages in the 90s. And throughout the episode, we asked our fellow members of the Potluck Podcast Collective what their favorite Asian American music videos were. As we mentioned last week, everybody's music tastes are so different, and the landscape of music is so vast that if we just look at the perspectives of even two people we're only getting a small corner of asian american music video production so I, I feel like for this episode and this subject in particular we had to open it up once we looked at all of the suggestions we started to see some themes so we decided that we would tackle this semi-chronologically just to give a sense of what was going on during these different time periods yeah, well, we noticed definitely that in the, sort of the earlier period that we are focusing on, that there were Asian Americans involved, um, just maybe not in the way we think about now. I was thinking about the 80s, if there was any examples, and it's not quite Asian American, but David Bowie's China Girl had an Asian New Zealander lead in it. The Asian music videos then were being used not as a normal kind of character, but to highlight Asianness. In this early period, like in the 90s and, and onward, Someone like Joseph Kahn was incredibly significant. He is a music video director who happened to make some of the most iconic videos of our time from Ahmed's Back in the Day in the 90s to all of the Britney Spears videos of her prime to Today with Taylor Swift and so many others. If you look at his filmography, it's really, really impressive and it's, it's really the snapshot of MTV from like the late 90s to today and he's still going strong. And in addition to Joseph Kahn, there are folks like Warren Fu today who are also working very much in the mainstream. Like he directed Daft Punk Weekend video. And especially the beginning MTV stages, if you saw Asian Americans, they necessarily had to be in the mainstream, right? Because there wasn't YouTube. If Asian Americans had cameras and were making videos, there was no like distribution for them. So I think for a lot of us growing up in the 80s and 90s, the first Asian American music videos we saw were probably for songs sung by people who aren't Asian necessarily, and probably directed by people who were Asian American too. But the first one that I thought of was the Sibo Mato Sugar Water video. Possibly the greatest music video of all time. I'm on a concrete way. The wind is blowing. I don't even think I was that knowledgeable about Asian Americans in the media at that time, but I loved Michelle Gondry, director of films like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Science of Sleep, which I really like. 
he got to start making music videos and one of them was for Sibo Mato. They call it like a visual palindrome so you can imagine there's a split screen, there's Yuko on one side, Miho on the other side, and one side is going forwards and the other side is going backwards but the stuff that's happening is very complimentary like they both take a shower, one's taking a real shower and the other one has a box of sugar she's pouring on her hair which is the nod to sugar water and both sides meet in the middle and then it goes back to the beginning. Do you remember watching that video for the first time? I mean, it's stuck in my head. Like it's, it's, it's so precisely done. It takes a while for you to figure out like what is the game he's trying to play with us. And once you figure it out, you're just like, oh, I hope he pulls this out. And of course he does. Yeah, there's even parts where there's a cat going through a pet door on one screen and the cat goes out the door on the other screen. And I guess it's just one of those videos where you can watch over and over and over again and your brain is still kind of trying to juggle what you've seen. <laughs> It's exciting that like in the, the canon of, of great music videos that Siwamato part of it. I feel like Asianness makes sense within his universe the same way it kind of makes sense within a Spike Jones Weezer Ooh, world. Weezer of... and the half Japanese girls. <laughs> God damn you half Japanese girls. Yeah, like an, an obsession with Japanese-ness that I think extends later into the way Damon Auburn works with Japanese artists in the gorillas. There seems to be something in the air there where it's like Japanese cool is kind of exotified within these kind of precise universes, which is probably a nice transition into... The next video we're talking about is an example from Taz Ahmed of the Good Muslim, Bad Muslim podcast. It's Timbaland and Magoo, Indian flute. You, you should pull it up and, and watch the video. You're going to be like, what? I am Taz Ahmed. I'm an activist in Politico based in Los Angeles. I'm so excited about this conversation because I've been writing about South Asian American music for at least 10 years now. And I've been able to track the progression of how the music has expanded. I used to like just play it in the background before we'd go out. But it's one of those things where you watch this video and you're like, holy crap, that's so racist. But then back in 2003, when the song was the big hit, you're like, hey, it's brown songs and hip hop. That's so cool. And then you watch the video and you're like, hey, it's my people. They're being fetishized and exotified. But hey, it's my people. And now it's like, that's really fucked up. But like back then, just having like even like that like fragment of like recognition was like such a big deal. I think that's really cool that she mentioned that because it's also like, remember when um the, the Jay-Z and Punjabi MC song <laughs> that was in, in all the clubs around the that time? Yeah, but it was definitely a time when like in pop and hip hop was trying to assimilate other cultures. And, and this is also a time when like speaking Spanish was really cool in, in pop songs. And uh, and then when they incorporated Bangra in it, it just seemed like the, the next natural thing. But uh, yeah, I think as Taz says, like listening to it now, I mean, it is of its time. And then it's also like of a certain time in our own lives. And I think we can look at it fondly. In this era, like if you saw Asian Americans, even if it wasn't necessarily the most creative video, like maybe it was just following this exact specific formula that everybody else was doing at the time, it was really exciting. And that reminds us of one submission we got from James Paguyo. Shout out to James. He tweeted to us about the one voice video for the song When You Think About Me. And I'll just read what he wrote. For some reason, my first thought was When You Think About Me by One Voice. Watching it now, it's not a particularly good music video. There's really no plot happening on screen. The plot is just told through the lyrics. It's just the group dancing in different locations, intercut with slow motion shots of the dude they're singing about. But it's bad in all the same great ways. A lot of late 90s music videos were bad and now iconic. And I always loved this music video because it was Filipino-Americans from the Bay with a music video that looked just like all the other mainstream pop R&B music videos of that era. I totally remember the song, but did not know that they were Filipina. And that's exactly what James is speaking to. Like, this could just bleed into the mainstream. Speaking of people I didn't know were Filipino-American, do you know Jocelyn Enriquez? Uh, that rings a bell as a Filipino singer. <laughs> So she sang the songs Do You Miss Me and A Little Bit of Ecstasy. Oh my god, that's 
that song is a, a defining song of my life. I literally had no idea until an hour ago <laughs> that she was a Filipina-American singer. And, and really, it took the music video to do that. If you were just listening to it on the radio, you would never have known. Yeah. And probably if you hear it on the radio, you just naturally assume it's not. That's true. It's like 1994-ish. Even now. Like, if I heard a song on the radio, like, I think I'd probably just assume it's not an Asian person. Because pop culture doesn't reinforce that connection for me. And that reminds me of one of my other favorites. And to contextualize, when I think about music videos, I definitely think of the TRL days, Total Request Live. Like NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, Beyonce. <laughs> I associate music videos with college going to this club called Tiger Heat in West Hollywood, <laughs> <laughs> where you're not only dancing to the music, but they have these huge screens of these videos playing. And I remember... Amory's One Thing, which was around 2005. It's basically your typical, like, Britney, Beyonce type of music video. At the very end, she flashes her lower back tattoo, which is uh, her name in Korean. <laughs> I will say, Amory in this video, she wants you to notice her. And that's sort of that striking star in the making. This is her first video, I think. The world had to take notice. And for an Asian American to so confidently with so much swagger be able to claim that, I can see why that's incredibly empowering. Yeah, swagger. That's sometimes missing. And that's one thing that I feel like we don't make use of enough, we being the Asian American music community that I'm not really part of. But um, with my favorite music videos, dance is a huge part of it. Asian Americans have been a huge part of this dance scene, you know, with the hip hop dance crews and stuff. But I feel like they haven't been showing up in music videos as much as they should. Um, there's just like a few examples that I can think of where, you know, a very early Far East Movement video for dance like Michael Jackson. Jackson. Marvin, you reminded me that Quest Crew, before they were big, were a part of that. But we don't have really have any Asian-American pop singers like that who also dance. And maybe like Coco Lee tried to do it. <laughs> and then we have examples like Boa, who is already big in Asia for being a singer-dancer, coming and trying to break it here. But I think it's also, it's, we can't expect a full-on dance crew in a David Choi video. I think it also has to do with the fact that there aren't that many prominent Asian-American singers of like pop that would require those kind of dancing. <laughs> So you mentioned this as a early memory of Asian Americans in music videos. I think it might be fun to ask other people. Yes, so here we'll play Taz as well as Minji Chang and Marvin Yue from Collaboration talking about the first time they remember seeing an Asian American music video. In 2006, I used to blog on a site called Sepia Mutiny and we used to do Music Mondays. And back then it was a struggle to find a South Asian American track. And I think one of the first music videos that I came across was, was probably King Khan, who's kind of this psychedelic Canadian German garage band. And he like does these live shows wearing nothing but leather underwear. Um, and he has like a face mask. He's really trippy, but uh, his videos have always been kind of amazing. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Minji Chang. I'm the Global Executive Director of Collaboration, and I'm also an actor. I went to college up in the Bay Area at UC Berkeley, and during that time, people started sharing these videos through, like, an FTP server or something. Like, I just got emailed files. And the first video I ever got actually was of PK, who's a stand-up comedian. He's the founder of Collaboration. He was performing at UC Berkeley, and he's singing a song called A Song for Oma. And he basically sang a song about a Korean-American mother to the tune of Boys to Men, A Song for Mama. You were my everything for nine months you carried me. You were my bubble bubble hole. I was like, what is this amazing, humorous on-point, mind-blowing, you know, identity video. It was instantaneous connecting point, you know what I mean? Like, you just automatically felt more understood. My name is Marvin Yue, and you really can't talk about Asian American music videos without going way back. And I mean way back, back in the day when I was in high school and someone created a flash animation for the uh, rap song Got Rice. 
is back in the Asian Pride days. It was like this flash video that you can find on Newgrounds. Got rice, bitch. Got rice. Got food. Got soup. Got spice. Got brains like us. Got skills like us. Got cars. Got clothes. Got girls like us. Someone made into a flash animation with like these really, really just bad drawings of rice bowls and Asian dudes with baggy pants. You know, this is pre-YouTube. There was no YouTube, so we just watched flash animations. Because if we wanted to watch a video, it would have taken like hours to download. But yeah, I'm, that was probably the earliest music video, quote unquote, that I remember watching from Asian Americans. Um, obviously, it's, it's gotten better since then. I remember when Got Rice came out, and I remember being so like like so embarrassed by this song. <laughs> but I do remember a lot of my friends really taking to it. I thought it was funny, yeah. But at the same time, I think because of just the lack of any kind of Asian American hip hop, at least that they were exposed to at this time, that they embraced it. These videos would be shared like on on Real Player. You remember that? Oh my gosh, yeah. Really bad quality. So actually, the other ones, really for me, the most important videos that we were sharing in this pre YouTube period were the Jin yeah. Battle videos. Check. You wanna say I'm Chinese, Sonny? Here's a reminder. Check it, Tim. They probably say made in China. And those are going viral before YouTube. I'm a hard act to follow. You an amateur? You go to the Apollo. But remember, like we would just sit around our computers, our giant CRT computer screens, and uh, just be in awe of Jin battle rapping on BET. And it was such a unifying moment. Not only were we unified by, by the presence of a great rapper, but we were all kind of looking at each other like, dude, can you believe this guy's Asian? Yeah. The battle rap scene being also a visual medium, later like vaulting, dumbfounded into legend as well. So yeah, yeah, this early period pre-YouTube, we were finding ways to share through these college FTP servers, college networks. And that leads us to Another kind of rather pivotal moment in Asian American video, Wang Fu Senorita. Pivotal moment. <laughs> we have Marvin Yue talking about seeing this for the first time. I actually went to UC San Diego at the same time as the Wang Fu guys, and I remember those original um, Wang Fu lip sync videos, lip syncing to Senorita. And I remember I got shared this video from my friend from UC Berkeley, and I was watching it. I was like, wait a second. That's my school. And from there, you know, we just, you know, follow these guys as they made more music videos, lip syncing to, you know, Meteor Gardens, Harlem U Song, to Maroon 5, to actually making music videos for Magnetic North and for Far East Movement. It was really cool. <laughs> I want to step back a little bit and note that, like, Wang Fu, they're independent producers. And this video had no aspiration of being seen by a wide audience. It was probably just for other folks in the college, like Marvin. This is a time when they're just making things and having fun. And there were other independent producers around this time, as well as musicians, who were just kind of scrappily trying to put together their portfolio of not just music, but also of music videos. One of the pioneering hip-hop groups of this time for Asian America was Mountain Brothers. One of their early videos was a song called Galaxies from 1998. And, um, I mean, like what James was saying about the one voice video, it, it looks like other, a lot of other 19, like late 1990s videos. It's, it's got very you know, hype Williams low camera angle but like a fisheye lens and everyone's kind of dancing around it and just kind of generic spaces of, of hip-hop in the late 90s but they also throw in like they're hanging out at tea restaurants or like mahjong parlors um so the galaxy that they're singing about includes both hip-hop spaces as well as asian american spaces and then they as as a group that traverses both seamlessly unites it all and that was exciting 1998 but later on, like a lot of these early hip hop groups were trying to make music videos, especially as they had access to digital cameras. And it would be possible for a band like Native Guns for their song Champion, which is, I think, kind of a classic. To be able to, to shoot a video in the street and have fun with it. And in this video, like the billboards all around them just like turn into insignia for them. It's like they rule this town. And the special effects when you look at it today looks really primitive. But man, like how exciting is it that they were taking control of the medium and being able to like write themselves into the city using these cheesy effects. And you get a little bit of that also in the Pacific's. Uh, with their song a specialty ways that we rock the stage are our specialty and it's ain't crowds for days and especially when beats played and specialty and champion were both directed by patricio janelsa 
who oh, was, cool. yeah, like an important Filipino-American director around this time. He made the Lumpia film, and he, he worked on the debut, but he made a name for himself in the music video world for these kind of uh, indie grassroots hip-hop acts, and he himself was an indie grassroots filmmaker. So a lot of this was in the air, and even before YouTube, they were producing these cheap videos and then bolstering their, their indie cred. And later, I think he directed like Black Eyed Peas videos, right? Yeah, he became like the go-to guy for Filipino-American videos. The other one that's worth mentioning is his video for Bamboo and Prometheus Brown called Books. Where they spoof Filipino telenovelas and they kind of write Bamboo and Prometheus Brown into that narrative. It's like it's winking at a Filipino-American audience that would get why it's funny because these are the soap operas your parents watched in the background and then and Patricia Janelsa directed that and he became an auteur in that world. Definitely. And then at some point, YouTube came around. Yes, I mean like in the mid-2000s, YouTube I don't remember. Do you remember like when you first discovered YouTube? It was because at that time there were a lot of other video streaming services or or platforms, and I just thought YouTube would be another one of them. It's like, oh, it's gonna come, it's gonna go, it's gonna slow down my internet, it's gonna be really choppy, it's gonna be buffering all the time. I don't remember the first time I discovered YouTube, but now it's all coming back to me. I think I remember the first time seeing an Asian American on YouTube, and I think it was David Choi, right? Didn't he have a song called the YouTube song? Oh, it's, it was called YouTube, a love song. This was 2006. At that point, there weren't that many videos, so the people behind the scenes, whenever they put something on the front page, it like went, not viral, but you know what I mean? Like it was like the biggest thing ever because everybody looked at what was on the front page of YouTube. Yeah, so from the very beginning, like this is a thing of legend now. Asian Americans, they became the, the stars of YouTube in terms of vlogs with Kev Jamba. And of course, there were all the cover videos. And Asian Americans were excelling at being able to cover Rihanna songs with like Mario Digby. You yeah, so this was a time where there was a lot of creativity, but not necessarily a lot of money. It was like people at the beginning stages of their careers. Yeah, and because they had no budget, they really had to stretch their imagination. And I think that's what I love about this period, this real transitional period when Asian Americans discovered YouTube. But as more and more acts started appearing on YouTube, to stand out, you have to be a little bit more innovative. So like a, um, an artist like Sam Toy, he, he was the one who would film himself singing one part of the song and then he would, uh, I guess, green screen himself next to him doing another part of the song. So it's like a one-man band. He would like do a Michael Jackson song and sing all the parts at the same time. And it was really innovative. My favorite of this period is Dumbfounded and a bunch of other acts from all around the world did a, they called it a jam session 2.0, where they would get singers, musicians, uh, instrumentalists from all over the world, and they would do a jam session together. Like they would all get the parts of the song, and then they was, it's like they were Skyping in a jam session. And um, for the viewer, what you're seeing is like your screen is split up into different windows, and you can kind of edit the film, edit it in your own head. Kind of in the way like when you're at a concert, you don't have to just look at the lead singer. You, your eyes can turn to the, the drummer, the, the guitarist, the pianist. And for this time, it was super innovative. Like for me, like I saw a direct link from like Mike Figgis' film Time Code to Dumbfounded working on Jam Sessions. Yeah, and you kind of see people getting more and more creative. You could talk about the Kino Granis in your arms video where this isn't, I don't think it's slow budget, but it's all made out of jelly beans. Yes, yeah, it's, it's stop motion with jelly beans. Now let's go quiet to the park where it first started. Or her Valentine video, which is a flip book, right? Yeah, it's, it's um, they're dominoes, and as the dominoes fall, it's like different different frames in a in an animation. Feels like a handmade feeling to it, both both the, the dominoes and the jelly beans. But it's charming, and it really fits Kina Granis's persona. And basically, naturally, as technology gets better, as your everyday person can get a hold of better equipment, the quality gets better. So how would you define this era? I think it's the uh, the slow transition into professionalization. 
it's a maturation of not just Asian American pop music, but of YouTube. When YouTube first started off, it was just a home of amateurness. Anybody can have access to it. Like you could just throw up anything and it could go viral. But as YouTube started to approach its second decade, people started finding ways to monetize. Suddenly, like to stand out, you had to look a little bit better. It had to, had to be a little bit slicker. It was starting to turn more cinematic. Videos on YouTube, including music videos, had to resemble other kinds of media that we know that we we're willing to pay money for, such as film. And uh, I, I think that reminds us of some of these music videos that started to really incorporate narrative into them to make it seem like these were short films. And um, I'm reminded of a video that actually our fellow potlucker, Rira Yu, suggested to us. Rira Yu of the Books and Boba podcast. Which is the video I Wonder by Go, who is a rapper. That's one where it feels a little bit somewhere between a documentary and a narrative. This song is dedicated to a very special woman who had me at the tender age of 18. The song tells the story of how Go discovers at age 18 that he was adopted from Korea. He grew up thinking he was Chinese. And um, the video is someone like, recreating that story. Her mind was confused with the plus at the tip of a tube. Sick as she threw up with a cup, take a sip of abuse. At the same time, he's also drawing from sort of like K-drama aesthetics. It feels very heightened and, and, and almost uh, soap operatic. And it's really touching, like people crying to this. And on the other end, you have, um, incidentally, another Korean adoptee. Dan Matthews, uh, back when he was with the band After School Special, to the girl with no name, brown eyes and tight flame, dark hair, who your did a video called Name, directed by Wong Fu Productions, and this plays out just like uh, the story of a romance in a office that's also sort of a thriller. And it's all these genres in one, and it's it's showcasing the ability of filmmakers like Wong Fu Productions to, to excel in genres. And at the same time, though, I think what makes this period so charming was the capital wasn't quite there. They didn't really have even semi-big labels supporting them. And this really was still very grassroots. They were making it off the seat of their pants, and I think audiences were very forgiving in that sense because... Um, I guess they didn't really know any better, but also I, I think that the amateurness that still persists in these in these works gave it a, a bit of indie cred. That reminds me of a conversation I had with Minji about the rapper Aquafita. You and I were going back and forth on a lot of different artists, but one in particular that's kind of sticking out in my brain right now is Aquafina. Her music videos made my brain explode. Turn a grown man to a bashful bride with a vase and a leaf him a mobilized, but. How many tiny little talented as hell, brash, like vulgar, and I'm all those things, you know, like I have made these music videos just being like really openly sexual, being very unapologetic, being really creative with her raps. Like it's just, I don't know, she, she inspires the crap out of me. Like I love her. <laughs> Can we talk about the My Veg music video? Because you will be more fun to talk about it with than Brian. <laughs> no shade, Brian. We love you. My Veg, effortless. Your Veg posters on Craigslist. My Veg. You are correct. She's better to talk to her. We're <laughs> watching it right now. She's done other music videos since that have had much more production value. Yeah. But that one. It's so simple, but so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> For a lot of it, it's just a shot. Like, if you're a woman at a doctor's office getting a pap smear, your legs up in the air, and just the random stuff she's pulling It's out. just, yeah, right? Like, she just had a funny concept. My veg feel like winning the lottery. Yo, shit got turned down from eHarmony. Catchy song. Great yeah. song. And she just made it. She just made it. And it didn't have to be high production for it to be something that you want to share with your friends. Right? And just be like, oh my god. Yeah. This is hilarious. And I think because it didn't necessarily have like all these like special effects it really relies on her music her presence her personality her humor right and i mean that was already bigger than life you know right and and it was fun i think there's moments where you see that she's just laughing that's the thing she breaks in it and that's like i don't know the unpolishedness quote unquote makes it very real it makes it like this is my girl like uh, this is a girl who lives in new york that i want to be friends with she's just very like herself i mean that's really what shines through in all her stuff whether it's really like highly produced or just low budget. It's kind of like that episode in season one of Saturday School when we're talking about Ang Lee's wedding banquet. <laughs> where, where are you going with this? <laughs> and, and I was talking about how like Ang Lee since then has done Oscar winning movies, but I still like the 
personal story of the wedding banquet best. It's still one of my favorites, and I think of it like that. I think it's a example of this time you're talking about, right? Where there's a little bit more production. It's not just her pointing a camera at herself in a dorm room, but it still feels very personal. This is the generation of Asian American musicians where they know that if they're going to succeed, they have to be visual artists. Like the music video is no longer a supplement to who their identity is; it's so key to it. And I think maybe more than any other Asian American musician, Aquafina is maybe even more of a visual artist than she is a musical one. I mean, that's not to diminish her music, but man, I mean, like she's known for these videos, especially My Vag. <laughs> and there's another one called Queef. All classics. <laughs> yeah. So this is kind of like the late 2000s, early 2010s, and I know both of us personally have our own favorite videos that are really representative of this time. So do you want to go first or should I go first? You should go first. When I was thinking about what are my favorite Asian American music videos, this particular video kept coming up, and I almost wasn't sure if I should bring it up because it didn't necessarily feel like quote unquote official music video. <laughs> But now I'm owning it as like my favorite Asian American music video, which is something that you actually, you're the one who first told me about Mr. Cookie Jar. Like, how did you even find out about him? I saw him at Tuesday Night Project. Oh, really? Yeah, he did a whole set and it was amazing. And uh, so I guess just to give people a little bit of background, Mr. Cookie Jar, he raps, he sings, he's a composer. And his music is for kids. I guess I should have known by the name that his song is for kids, but I didn't even realize. Like, it seems like his songs are for me. I think if you're an adult, I think you could appreciate the charms a lot more, um, especially because his sort of like magic school bus vibe is kind of bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so why don't you talk about this song and then this video? Okay, so when you told me about him, you not only sent me a video of him performing on a stage, but you had sent me a music video called Room 28, That's How We Roll. What up? My name is Kobe Bryant, and you are about to enter Mr. Valdez's fourth grade classroom. It's a music video that him and his partner made with the fourth grade class of his partner's daughter. It's Ava Flava's fourth grade class taught by Mr. Valdez. This for all the kids in Mr. Valdez's class with Mr. Valdez. Now watch me there. Hey, room 28, room 28, room 28. Here's the facts, young and don't be late. It's really, really, really catchy. <laughs> My teacher, Mr. Valdez, steady with that motivation. He's the king of the castle, castle like the fastest. Math like the glasses, technological master. And the music video is completely filmed with him and all the kids in the classroom. And there's also a behind-the-scenes video. Have you seen the behind-the-scenes? I'm sure I've seen it before. I was pretty obsessed with him for a while. Yeah, so basically, like, for the entire year, every Tuesday, Mr. Cookie Jar and his partner would come in, and that would be the activity where they would teach the kids about how to, like make rhymes, how to, you know, I think it was everything from the process of creating the song to creating the music video to filming the music video. And, and it manages to be like pro learning in the classroom, like in a way that's like those cheesy like raps that your teacher might have made you do. But it's also musically also so on point that you can't deny that this is for real. And it's got this like cool lo-fi vibe to it that is totally his persona and it matches the, the, the world of kids. Oh, it's perfect. It's the best. <laughs> I think the one you're about to talk about was the first one you thought of when you thought of Asian American music videos you wanted to talk about. Yeah, and, and interestingly, it's kind of like Mr. Cookie Jar in that it has this aesthetic that looks like it's either parody of like bad technology or it's a total embrace of it. This video is my favorite Asian American music video. It's Das Racists, Who's That Brown? Who's that? Brown. Who's that? Brown. Around this time, I, like a lot of people, I became a big Das Racist fan. Uh, Dust Racist is made up of a rap duo with their hype man, Dap, who is incidentally Hari Kanabolu's brother. 
They kind of made a name for themselves as being like Brooklyn hip rappers, or I think they were also described as like grad school rappers. But none of that captures how fun they were. The song itself has already got like weird video game sounds to it, quirky electronic noises. So they decided to turn their video into the adventures of Das Racist as characters in old school video games. So like visually it resembles everything from Double Dragon to like Frogger and Zelda. Um, they use Tetris. There's some parts that remind me of like the old Simpsons arcade game. And it's all done as this like stupid adventure to try to find their hype man Dap because they have a show that night. So they like hop on some hoverboards and they take the, the seven line subway and they get in trouble with some, some yuppies and they throw like dance battles and they shoplift. Yeah, it's so clever. On, on every level, like visually, musically. But to me, like what makes it so awesome is that it's not just 90s nostalgia, like, but there's something a little bit more sarcastic and uh, even like mean-spirited about it. Kind of like laughing at hipster irony, mocking gentrification, but not just like making fun of it in a casual and polite way, but like wanting to kick it in the nuts. And it totally fits their aesthetic. Like um, Das Racist, their raps are kind of, um, they sound a little bit lazy, but like lazy in a way that like grad students who are high sound like they're lazy. But it's also like drawing attention to brown identities that you'd never think about in hip-hop in quite this way. And speaking of which, throughout all of these periods, it's been interesting to see artists also discovering how to use the music video format to get certain political points across. Taz gives us another example, and we'll let you listen to that here. When I was writing about music, I would always see artists make these music videos where it was just like them singing on a microphone in an alleyway. And I was just tired of that because that wasn't telling the story that I thought that our community needed. And one of the first videos that I saw where there was a real story was, it was probably the Caminas. The Cam I've been following the Caminas for a long time and they had a music video where it was a bunch of women in burqas riding bikes across the desert. I am an Islamist. I am the edgy Christ. Most squares can make most wanted. My favorite video now from the Caminas is from their latest album, a song called See Something, Say Something, based on those posters that you see on public transportation. If you see something, you better, you better say something. Nothing at all, nothing at all. So they made this video of this white guy who's on a subway and he sees a few brown kids on the subway and he starts making up this fantasy that everyone's a terrorist which i guess is kind of how i see all white people how they see me as a brown person <laughs> great video though that imagination is turned into an octopus-like character with tentacles so it's a video that i feel like when i do an islamophobia training on how art and culture can shift islamophobia this is like the video i would show i'd be like okay here is a perfect example of how you can talk about islamophobia in music videos so the first video she was talking about was actually from 2008 called Sharia Law in the USA. And then the second video she's talking about, See Something, Say Something, is from 2015. So this is sort of a thread that you see throughout the different eras. Like you see how artists are using these music videos to say something to the world about messages they want to spread as artists. And there's also videos like the recent dumbfounded video for SAFE. You took me safe. It got a lot of attention when it came out just in 2016. It's basically dumbfounded inserting his face in all of these different Hollywood movies. Whether it's him as Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean or him as Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic at the I'm a King of the World scene. Making a statement about representation in Hollywood. Yeah, and at this point, the aesthetic is very, very mature. This is a very slick video. There's costumes, there's special effects. I think also what makes it so memorable and I think what made it resonate with people was this is sort of the music video version of like the hashtag starring John Cho a meme that was going around. And the video itself is very meme -y, like the way you would take an existing image and then desecrate it in a way that's going to make people have this aha moment. And it's also like as Dumbfounded is becoming more famous. And I think it's actually uh, for a dumbfounded song and it's not as rough around the edges so this is also his mainstreaming and you could say the mainstreaming of asian american music video more generally and like how it can become viral beyond the asian american community would you say this era is like just in the last few years like five years yeah yeah 
I feel like this is the era where you have people working in the mainstream space and you also have people working purely in the online space, but it's hard to really distinguish based on the production value. But also I think these lines are blurring because who watches videos on MTV now? Like we, we only watch music yeah. videos on YouTube. So yeah. if you, whether it's it's made by a small production house in LA by some indie filmmakers or that it has big Warner Music money behind it, it's still playing in the same spaces. An independent video that has a little bit more savvy and production value might be able to just bleed into the mainstream. And I think that's kind of what happened with the Stumbounded video, why everybody was recommending it to us. Yeah, definitely. On the flip side, then you have something like Turn Down For What, directed by Daniels. Um, Daniels is a directing duo. It's two guys named Daniel, and one of them is Daniel Kwan. The Daniels had this sort of indie aesthetic to them. Um, this video doesn't star DJ Snake or Lil Jon in it, but it very, very much features Daniel Kwan. He just goes on a rampage, just humping everything inside. Turn down for what? And it's hilarious, but also bizarre. Bizarre in the way that like a, a Gondry video could be bizarre, but it's it's definitely for a, a new a new generation. He's humping everything, but in a way where it seems like he can't control his body, and maybe there's gonna be an apocalypse. <laughs> it's both magical and completely stupid. And we should note that fellow potluck podcaster Phil Yu of the podcast they call us Bruce. This was the first video he thought of. He said, my favorite music video that comes to mind, hands down, is Turn Down For What? And that means a lot because Phil Yu, on his blog, Angry Asian Man, he covered a lot of music videos. So this is someone who watched a ton of them, probably was looking for them, and was also sent them in order to promote. So I feel like it means a lot that out of every single music video that he has seen, that's the first one that comes to mind. And that's probably memorable to him because a lot of Asian American music videos, they're kind of the same vibe, just the way Taz was making fun of the ones where people are singing in the alleyway. There are a lot of different formulas like that. So someone like Phil who's seen them all, suddenly when Turn Down For What appears, blasts through the mediocrity. Now that we're talking about the contemporary era, we did get a lot of suggestions from people of music videos that were literally from like this year or last year, two years ago. And that makes a lot of sense because that's kind of when the production value of videos got really good, no matter where it was coming from. Will Choi of Drunk Monk. And the Korean Drama Podcast. Gave us a couple of suggestions. He recommended a song called Vice by Pop Etc. And this Vice video is really fun because it almost looks like pop art. Yeah, the whole thing is very candy-colored, but it's supposed to be a cooking show, but it has a little bit like infomercial aesthetics to it, and it all is very tongue-in-cheek. Uh, it's the kind of thing like you could have seen as a blur video back in the 90s. And it also has a little bit of like like poppy, cute Japan stuff, like, like, like a kawaii aesthetic to it, too. Yeah, it's fun. And then the other one he recommended was a music video by Run River North for their song Run or Hide. Lying in the dark with your shadow, shadow hanging over me. I mean, first of all, the production value in this is fantastic. The cinematography is this very high contrasty, stark black and white. And just based on the way it's lit, you know, like a lot of attention to detail was paid to this song. It's got a lot of like things moving in slow motion, people with extreme white crusted makeup on. This could be a music video that you saw on MTV back in 1996 with Soundgarden or something, but like even slicker. Nothing about this screams that this is a indie rock band. If you watch this video, like you will take them as this is a uh, above ground band that everybody should know about. And maybe that's what they were going for. And, and hopefully that's the case because everyone should know about them. But I also like that even the auteurs of Asian American cinema can get involved with music video. Like back in the day, like Evan Jackson Leung would make videos first and then go into making his high production value narrative features. But now you have probably the most heralded Asian American director of our moment, Andrew Ahn, directing music videos for D.F. Rampton. In a music video that you were watching over and over and over again. In fact, we're going to play it on opening night of this year's San Diego Asian Film Festival. So it's D.F. Rampton's Crave. And Minji Chang is in it. I was in the D.F. Rampton music video. I was directed by Andrew Ahn, which was a huge honor. 
Um, for those of you who don't know, Andrew On made Spa Night, it won awards. The song is gorgeous. Dia is one of the most amazing vocalists and her voice is very haunting. It's just very ethereal. It's about Dia and her friend. They're still reeling from recent breakups. They've made a pact to not talk about their old boyfriends. And so Dia tells him, you know what? Let's go to karaoke. He says, I don't like karaoke. She proves otherwise because he meets this dashing guy with a smile to die for in the karaoke room. And, you know, they're just singing, shooting glances across the room, and pretty soon they're duetting together, and pretty soon they're running down the streets as if this was meant to be. Can I share what I asked you after I watched it? Yeah, sure. Because <laughs> you told me about it, that you were watching it over and over again, and then I watched it. And I was like, Brian... Is this like your fantasy meet-cute romantic scenario? <laughs> like <laughs> meeting someone, not necessarily a guy, but meeting someone <laughs> in a karaoke room? But more interesting is your second question, which was... My follow-up question is, when you imagine yourself in this romantic scenario, are you the main guy in the music video who goes into the karaoke room with his friend and then you get kind of swept off your feet? Or... Are you the guy that comes into the karaoke room, like owning the scene, who impresses this guy so much that when you ask him to leave with you, that he says, of course. <laughs> so, so you're asking me, am I the seductor or the seductee? Yes. I, I, no one needs to take this that seriously, but I, I think like the fantasy probably be the one like, I want to impress somebody and, and have them like leave with me. Is that how it works? Um, so you're the second guy. No, I think that's the fantasy, but this is the, the magic of Andrew on the filmmaker that he puts me in the position of the reluctant karaoke-er. And I want to be that guy when I'm watching this video. I want to be the one who's like, I don't know if I want to do this. And then suddenly, suddenly worlds open in front of me. I want to live that fantasy that he's presenting. In other words, I want both. Is that, is that what you're trying to get me to say? No, I think I honestly, I didn't know what the answer was because I thought it could be both. Yeah, because I, I don't imagine you as a reluctant karaoke-er, that's why. Our friends who have been karaoke with us too much would probably know that, yes, it is both as in, I am trying to seduce myself when I'm singing. <laughs> and the audience for my karaoke is only myself. <laughs> How do we get on this tangent? I mean, look at the power of a good music video. You learn not only about the musician and about the filmmaker, but about yourself. But, uh, but it's also the audience. Like, the audience can see themselves in it. Is that what you're trying to get at? I don't know. Yeah, the audience can see themselves in it. And that is a good transition to Taz's last two recommendations. Another video that I super am drawn into, another artist is M.I.A., who I know is a super controversial figure when it comes to women of color music makers. But, you know, when I was growing up, she was the first South Asian singer that I saw that was singing in English. She had that one song called Sun Showers. I bongo with my lingo and beat it like a wing, yo. I guess she was on the tree and there was all these animals around her. And I was really, like, blown away by that video. And since then, the one that I love is Bad Girls, which I also remember was super controversial when it came out. That's the one where she's out in the desert with a bunch of dudes on cars, and they're like taking the cars and riding them on the side. It was really fascinating to me. I spent a few years living in Saudi Arabia and had just got back from Dubai, and just a lot of what I saw in the video was an homage to the Arab culture. And uh, the lyrics were awesome. That became my anthem for many, many years because I just needed a brown girl telling me that I'm a bad girl. One more that I want to mention is this female rapper out of Canada named Horsepower. Um, she's started out doing poetry when she was really young in her early 20s. And Vancouver has this amazing culture of young brown girls doing really dope shit. So she came out of that kind of circle up there and she did this one song called Queen. The song takes Bollywood beats in the background and she raps on top of it and it's super powerful and she's really funny too. I'm a little psychotic with the symbolic knowledge. 
Hatfield College. I'ma stand here look flawless with my scar face. I'm a modest So her lyrics aren't meant to be taken super seriously, but it's fun and her videos are absolutely beautiful and have that element of being Daisy, being femme, and being Western also. Yeah, it's so refreshing to hear about what's going on in sort of different pockets of Asians in North America, that uh, there's horsepower in Vancouver. And we've talked about like the Mountain Brothers from Philadelphia and how the Pacific's rep Chicago. Go is from Seattle. And you have the Cominas that are from Massachusetts. Mr. Cookie Jar from, from Mars. Et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, so we're thinking about Asian America beyond just LA, San Francisco, New York, even though there's a lot of great work coming out of there. I think because of the fact that there are musicians everywhere and how it's relatively easy to make a music video and how like bands and music artists have local audiences before they have national ones. And therefore, it's really a music video where we get to really enjoy the geographic diversity of Asian America. So I wanted to give props to one more video that was suggested to us by Minji. That's G Yamazawa's video for North CAC, which is from, from this year, which is a North Carolina anthem. It's the North Cat, baby, I'm a boss Carolina barbecue sauce with the slaw I'm the safe, the seller and the vault I'm the best, the effect and the cause, I'm the law It's him and two other rappers He's Japanese-American, the other rappers are white But he is the lead artist in the song As he's going through like all of the, the list of what makes North Carolina distinct and, and better than everybody else I mean, these are the usual games that rappers play Like It's very geographic, it's very territorial But to see a Japanese-American be able to claim North Carolina And for this video to, to go viral within North Carolina as the anthem I think that's incredible. And I, I think a big part of that is this music video, which is a single take of them just kind of walking through this rustic foresty area. So it's, it's not urban, it's not cosmopolitan. It's it's kind of rooted in the earth. And it's, it's hard and it's fun and it's musical. So music videos give us a much fuller picture of Asian America than many other kind of audiovisual media. And there's so much more that I'm sure the two of us have not heard of yet. And, and so we continue to encourage our listeners to let us know about more videos. Yeah, definitely. We're making a YouTube playlist so you can check out all of the videos that we talked about in this episode. There was more suggestions we got that we didn't even necessarily have time for. So we do hope that we could do a part three at some point. A lot of people suggested Jason Chu music videos. One of them in particular suggested by Jeff Yang, co-host of They Call Us Bruce with Phil Yu, was Jason Chu's music video for Marvels, which coincidentally stars Hudson Yang from Fresh Off the Bow. But in the meantime, we're going to go back to our regularly scheduled Asian American music movies season. And next week, we're going to be talking about Roddy Bogawa's film, I Was Born But. Which, unfortunately, you can't watch. (laughs) So no homework. We'll explain what that means next week. Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that features stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. We have a Tiny Letter newsletter you can sign up for to get lecture notes. Tinyletter.com slash Saturday School Podcast. Or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And the podcast Twitter handle is Wake Up Sat School. Class dismissed.